0: This show includes adult conversations around sometimes sensitive topics. Check the show notes at cxmhpodcast.com for trigger warnings. You're listening to the CXMH Podcast. CXMH is a podcast at the intersection of faith and mental health.
1: Hey, welcome back. I am so excited today to be joined by Carlos Rodriguez. Carlos is a pastor and the founder of Happy Sonship, which is a website and a nonprofit and a bunch of other things. A bunch of other things. A bunch of other things. (laughs) That's about right. He's also the author of a couple books, Simply Sonship and Drop the Stones, and the host of a podcast himself called Drop the Stones. Carlos, how are you today?
0: I'm super good. Great to be here, actually. So excited.
1: Yeah. Uh, Aside from kind of all that official bio stuff, is there anything that you want to tell us about yourself? You know, tell listeners a little bit about yourself.
0: Um, Recently adopted a girl from Ethiopia. Gorgeous okay. four-year-old called Sitota, which means gift in Amharic, and she truly is a gift. Um, yeah. So it's a whirlwind life right now. I have yeah. two boys: a six-year-old, a five-year-old, and now a four-year-old. Um, and it's been it's been wild, but it's been amazing. She, you know, we read all the books. Um, there's issues. There's trauma. There's things that you have to learn how to manage and behavior and whatever. Yeah. And honestly, she's been wonderful. She's just. We hit the jackpot. She's just a wonderful girl. She really like fits in the family. We're learning. I'm Herrick. She's learning English and Spanish. So it's a, it's a wild combination. We're having a really fun time. Yeah. And we know that there will be some stuff that we have to discover and deal with in the future. And that's part of it. That's part of the joy and the pain of adoption. But right now, man, it's so sweet. She's it's just awesome. doing so great. Yeah. yeah. She really is doing yeah. great.
1: That's awesome. Well, if if you wouldn't mind, give us a little bit of your backstory. I mean, how did you get into ministry? What got you into all the things that you're doing now? I mean, how did how did all this come about?
0: Yeah. Well, I I had that classic Billy Graham not not like like literally Billy Graham crusade <laughs> at 13 years old. It was in Puerto Rico in 1995. Um, and I, you know, I don't come from a Christian background. I come from a background of brokenness, alcoholism, adultery, a little bit of everything. Um, I was born and raised in Puerto Rico, and that's where you know I encountered Grace when He made that invitation. I went to the front, just like you know you see in the videos, people just walking down the rap, you know, walking down yeah. in a baseball stadium to the front, and that was me. And I, I encountered Grace, I encountered love, forgiveness, and and Jesus was just there, present, and I've never looked back, really. Um, and from there got really involved in the church and because it was all new to me, right. So I don't come with this loaded paradigm of like what church is, what God is, what life is meant to be. Um, my family, although there was a lot of brokenness at the same time, there was a lot of love and a lot of honesty. So my walk with Jesus has always been like, this is just how I feel right now. This is what's going on. This is what I want to do. This is what I hate. This is what I like. Um, so, you know, there was kind of permission to be that just to be real yeah um, long story short then I start going to church and it seems like church is the opposite of that like let's pretend like you know there's right. things are perfect or this is how you behave or this is how you act let's let's get re- really good at wearing a mask and I honestly got really good at that I got so good at wearing a mask that I became a pastor um, I got into ministry <laughs> And I became, I planted churches, started ministries, did, you know, done big events, big conferences, big stages, all that jazz. Um, and and maybe five years ago, yeah, not maybe, four and a half years ago, I mean, at the, at the pinnacle of my ministry in terms of the church was being very successful. The books were selling well. The invitations were coming from everywhere. I just hit a, you know, just hit a massive wall of, oh my gosh, I'm, in the public's eye, I'm something, but really, in in, in my life, I'm, I'm I'm something else. The way I behave with my wife, the way I talk to my kids, the way I the way I think about other people, my inner world is very different to my outside mm. world. And I just rediscovered that honest Jesus of just like this is how I am, this is how I feel, this is what's going on. So I've been on a journey of kind of rediscovering my faith, rediscovering what it is to just be a follower of Christ, and it's been a, it's been a wild ride, that's for sure.
1: Yeah. So a lot of your work uses this phrase, happy sonship, or simply sonship, or or things like that. Can you explain kind of what what does that mean?
0: Yeah, so in in the movement that I was part of, um, Catch the Fire, um, we were really big into the Father's love, right? Really big into rediscovering God as a father and what kind of a father he is. So part of uh, the last 18 years of me being in like full-time ministry going for it, has been a lot of sharing about God as a father. And, you know, that's a that's a loaded, um, that's kind of a loaded topic right there because everybody has some sort of issue, wound, um, experience, some positive, but mostly negative, unfortunately, with fathers, whether it's your actual earthly father or like spiritual fathers or any kind of father figure. And just... You know, the invitation from Scripture, especially from Jesus, who is the Son of God, and came to reveal who the Father truly is. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father. So he's making himself the destination. He's making himself the road, the destination being the Father. So how do we get to meet this Father and what kind of a Father he is? So. The whole concept of sonship, which is not really even a legitimate word, it's kind of a Christianese word, (laughs) Um, it's all about, you know, understanding ourselves as sons of God and Obviously, that includes females, it includes women, just like us guys have to be the bride of Christ for all of eternity. Um, it's not a male or female thing, you know, it's a yeah. it's a positional thing, especially in the culture that they were living in. Being the firstborn son was this epic thing of privilege and acceptance and having inheritance. So who are we in God's eyes? Um, who is he as a father? What kind of a father he is? Is he like a stern father, a lovely father, an angry father, a... You know, an authoritarian father, or is he a kind, playful, you know, wrestles you for fun kind of a father? So it's been a, a an invitation both to the older generation and the newer generation to rediscover God as a father and what kind of a father He actually is—very lovely. And the and the what I mostly do when I'm teaching on this, I kind of recreate uh, Luke 15, and I've done this. I mean, in prisons, in high schools, in big churches, small churches. And I literally do that moment in Luke 15, verse 20, where it says that uh, the father saw the prodigal son from afar. He felt compassion for him. He ran, he hugged him, and he kissed him. And I always choose somebody from the crowd. And next time I'm around you, I'll do it to you, Robert. Um, And I like run towards them, hug (laughs) them, kiss them. And like it's shocking to people that this is Jesus who knows God really well telling us this is how God acts towards us. And the acting, the actions of love is he'll see you from afar. He'll feel compassion for you. He'll run. He'll hug you and he'll kiss you, which is just kind of mind blowing to think that that's what God is like.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I kind of said it jokingly at the beginning in the intro, but what mm-hmm. all do you do now? I mean, if you go to <laughs> happysunship.com, there's
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. a whole
1: banner of things. But yeah. what what all are you up to?
0: So more than anything, um, so I so this is kind of the convoluted journey led to this. As I'm kind of crashing and burning in public, my ministry, um, I'm having to not be the lead pastor of my church. I'm having to go to counseling, having to get like a year's worth of legitimate ministry one-on-one towards me, anger issues and, you know, just bitterness in my heart and things that I had to deal with and restoring my marriage. In that journey, I started to write and I started to let people, it was already public. You know, we made a big church announcement about Carlos needs some healing. Carlos needs some ministry. Um, He's going to be seeing a council every week. So I was like, well, it's already out there. Why don't I invite people into the journey? Tell them, and again, going back to the rediscovering, just being honest with Jesus and honest with other people. So I started writing um, in this blog called Happy Sonship. And honestly, it was the least happy moment of my life that summer. It was absolutely terrible. Um, So I was like, how do I live this out? And I started to write. And people started to really respond because – I guess as a preacher, I myself was used to only sharing weakness, but like 20 years later, you know, when I've overcome it, not when it's happening. So people, I guess they really enjoyed somebody who was in the journey at the moment processing, um, not just sharing this victory that I have. And now you need to be like me because I've been victorious and you're not being victorious. But actually, you know, I'm crashing, I'm burning, I'm struggling, I'm actually hating my counselor right now, I'm actually don't want to go to my next session, I actually don't want to take this medication, I actually don't want to do therapy anymore, you know? So as I started to share that publicly, people really responded, I mean, in a dramatic way, I'm talking that first year of the blog, it was like more than four million visitors came, reading some of the articles, sharing it, commenting. Um, And mostly positive, really. Mostly people like, oh, thank God somebody's saying that, et cetera, et cetera. And then it turned a little bit into, okay, now that we're being transformed, now that we're on the journey, how does that manifest towards our relationship with our husbands, with our wives, with our friends, family, with our neighbors? So the blog kind of morphed into, okay, now how do you live this out? And that's where… Really, the nonprofit started because I didn't w- just want to write about welcoming refugees. I didn't just want to write about, you know, um, visiting the food shelter in your city. I don't. I didn't want to just tell people what to do. I actually wanted to do it myself, which right. is one-on-one Christianity basics. But I wasn't <laughs> doing it because, again, going back to, I was really good at wearing the mask, but not really good at actually living the life. Yeah. So, yeah, that all that to say that the the blog. That became that was kind of a personal journal that was public, became this personal invitation to myself. Hey, let's do the stuff that we're meant to be doing. And it's become a nonprofit. And it's been crazy how all those tons of people that were reading um, said, OK, we want to join you in the journey. So we, you know, we do relief work. We did it in Houston. We're still doing it in Puerto Rico. I'm moving. I'm actually moving with my family to Puerto Rico this summer. Oh. There's so much to do there. Um, so many homes to be restored, so many families to minister to. So we're moving our whole family down there. Um, and we do, we have a children's home in Peru. And we do, obviously, we adopted a baby girl from Ethiopia. So we do a, an adoption support network in Ethiopia to fund some of the orphanages, et cetera. So, you know, in four years, this whole convoluted journey became very specific. Let's serve others as we're still in the journey of healing ourselves.
1: Yeah. And obviously that you find that important, you know, living out your faith and things. But what what has that done for you and your family and the people that you interact with? Like diving into that nonprofit work, saying, "Hey, we're mm-hmm. going to go all around the world," you know, what what has that done for you?
0: Yeah, so I guess because I was, I mean, I could I could knock it out on a Sunday morning, man, and, and preach a good sermon, spend all week preparing in the Greek and the Hebrew and the examples and the story and the allegories and I could do it all, um, but that was that was mostly it. I could prepare a sermon. I could have a couple of meetings during the week, but barely like affecting an individual's life. You know, um, so it was almost like turning it around. Like let's let's focus more on the actual doing and less on the preparing the sermon. Let my life be a prepared sermon. Mm. Um, and I, I, to be honest with you, it's not because I'm super spiritual of our, or I'm super giving. It's I found more life. Just like going to prisons and spending time. I I do a workshop every Thursday in a federal prison here in North Carolina. Just, it's like really life giving to me um, to be connected with people from other um, journeys, from other faith walks, from other, you know, from a lot of brokenness like myself and just being able to do life together. And not like, it's not the mentality of there I am taking Jesus to them. It's actually like I found Jesus in the prisons. I found Jesus in Puerto Rico three weeks after the hurricane, you know, in communities that had absolutely nothing. They went overnight. They went from First World Nation to Third World Nation overnight, lost electricity, water, homes, family members. And in the midst of the pain and the crying and joining in their tears, just finding the presence of God there. So, you know, I've kind of rediscovered the beauty of our faith, the simplicity of it, just sitting with somebody. Just actually taking clean water to somebody that doesn't have clean water. Yeah. Um, actually visiting the prisoners, you know, that whole list in Matthew 25 where Jesus really? said, when you, when you clothe the naked, when you feed the hungry, it's so real, man. I feel God's presence there more than anywhere else. And, you know, in a bizarre way, I'm doing selfishly. I'm like, I'm doing it for myself because I need him. And I, I seem to find him more in those really marginalized places where maybe the church isn't going as much.
1: Yeah. So you've talked, I mean, you mentioned it there, but you've written some about your struggles with depression or seeing a counselor and a psychiatrist mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. things like that. So given that the show is, you know, the kind of the intersection of faith and mental health, can you tell us some more of that story? I mean, how did that yeah, all interact with your faith and yeah. everything like that?
0: Yeah, so our movement was really, we were really big into what we call inner healing, you know, which is basically... Um, therapy with untrained therapists. Right, right, um, yeah. <laughs> it's basically people that have read a couple of books and, and really do have a heart and care for people. Um, and don't call it counseling, maybe prayer ministry or like, you know, inner healing is that kind of big term. Yeah. So we were open to that and we were always willing to go through these journeys. Maybe a three day, we would call it like issue focus. Okay, I have this problem. Let's spend three days praying about it. Talking to some people about it, yeah. so there was a high value in our movement towards that, no doubt about it. But in a bizarre way, again, just being an expert at wearing a mask, I was great at teaching it, inviting people to it. I was just wasn't great, and to be honest with you, I'm still not that great at going through it myself. <laughs> I, 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 this is like, uh, like, and I can, and I can, I'm really good at building theology about why we don't need it. You know, the right. the the work was done at the cross, and we good now. You know, right. like. Just pray it out and get over it. Just And to be honest with you, I still think there is an element of that. There is an element of, of making choices and whatever. But honestly, it was all bull. It was all excuses to not do the hard work. Hmm. That, that was mostly what I was using it for. Um, so again, long story short, my wife was just like, I'm done with this. Like you're being aggressive. You're being a bully in the house. You're not communicating well. You're making me feel unsafe. And, You know, I like to tell people I was always vulnerable enough in public to make people feel like, oh, our pastor's so vulnerable, but not vulnerable enough for people to say like, oh, our pastor needs to stop being a pastor, like (laughs) he needs to ministry himself, right? So I would give you enough, like we're having some issues in our marriage, but, you know, we're praying through it and people are like, oh, you know, they're so honest and they're so real, but not like um, this week I I broke, you know, I made a hole in the wall because I was threatening my wife and I punched the wall to scare her, you know, I wouldn't say that. Just enough for people to know there's some issues, but not enough for people to say, no, he needs help. And and so people knew that there was something going on. And I I was clever enough and not clever enough at the same time, depending on how you look at it, to to tell my wife, okay, you talk to the rest of our leadership without me there because I'm really good at spinning the story so I don't look as bad. Yeah. So she did. She spent three hours with some of our other pastors. And then when they heard the story unfiltered from her, they were like, oh, yeah, he needs some ministry. Um, you guys need to just focus on your marriage. Um, so it was that painful conversation of, hey, you're not the lead pastor anymore. Um, we've talked to the other leadership. You need to sit down. You need to get some ministry. You need to go to counseling. And I started to go to counseling on every Wednesday with my wife first. And then the counselor discovered, actually, I just need to meet with Carlos. Um, (laughs) So every Wednesday, going to the counselor, his name was Dolan Williams here at Raleigh Mental Health. He's a Christian guy, but really is a non-Christian practice. And it was just like, yeah, sit down here. Let me tell you, son, that you have some issues and these are the issues and you need to stop. And if you do X, Y or Z, you're gonna sign an agreement and if you threaten your wife this way or that way, I'm gonna call the police and you need to sign that you're in agreement with that and you need to, you know? It was all this very extreme language. I'm feeling everybody's exaggerating, right? Like, I haven't actually done anything. You know, we had an argument and maybe we were both a little rough and maybe I was just minimizing all the issues. Mm. And because I come from such a broken background with a lot of physical, verbal, emotional abuse, then for me, It was like, compared to my dad, I'm a saint. Like, like everybody get over it. Like, I'm so good. And whatever, whatever excuse I could think of to not actually deal with my problem. And I spent months just battling the counselor. It was mostly like, um, I'm happy to take 99% of the blame, but can you give Catherine like 1%? Like can yeah. Catherine, my wife, can, can the church have like 0.5%? Cause they were putting all this pressure on me and, and can my dad have like 2% because he was a jerk and you know, right. And so mostly half of the counseling for the beginning was just the counselor convincing me that I actually needed this and I needed help. And it wasn't until I discovered that and really broke down and realized, you know what, this is not the kind of man I want to be. This is not the husband I want to be. This is not the father that I want to be. This is not who I want my children to become. Yeah. And bro, it was so painful. It yeah. was, oh man, but that was it. There was a breaking point and I just made the choice. I'm going to go through this. I'm going to get as much therapy as I need. Um, I, I, I saw the psychiatrist right there, the same practice. And, you know, she diagnosed me with transitional anxiety and, you know, you you just lost your job. You have all this identity based on your job, and now you don't have it. And I, I felt so depressed for so many months, um, just on my bed, like dark everywhere. And I just, I'm telling you, Dolan Williams, my counselor, it was so glorious to just stick it out. It was like six days of feeling miserable, and then one day with him, where I felt at least I felt angry, but I felt something else. Yeah. At least I felt something, um, and then that anger turned into repentance that repentance turned into hope and it turned into i don't go every week but i still you know every once in a while hey dolan i need to see you and open to that journey for the rest of my life
1: yeah so how does all that interact with faith i mean you mentioned it kind of having this theology beforehand of you know, mm-hmm. just pray it out. All the work is finished at the cross. All that, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden you're in this season of now. I'm, you know, once a week going to therapy and talking about all this. Mm-hmm. I mean, how does that reshape your faith or interact with it? Or, I mean, mm-hmm. what's, what's that process like?
0: Yeah, well, it, it's it's a, it's still a journey of how do I how do I fully grasp the gospel, the good news of salvation and and we have some spiritual language for it, right? You've been justified. That means you're going to heaven if you die. But you're in the process of sanctification, meaning you're still working it out. <laughs> we have right. so much language for it. And whatever. I agree with all of it. Um, I just know without a shadow, without more people in my church and more people in the churches in America, more people out even outside of the church were willing to just like see a professional who has been trained to deal with behavioral issues and with brokenness and, and whatever, there's breakdown in communication and marriage. I mean, things would be so much better because I, I think there's an, an, an element where it's just the humility of admitting I need help. Hmm. If we just got to that point, I actually need help. I'm actually doing wrong. I'm actually not behaving the way I want to. There's 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 mental patterns that I have that I can't get rid of. There's things that I actually need medication. And maybe I don't need medication for the rest of my life, but I need medication for a season to overcome it, to then learn the skills, to stay free. Or maybe I do need medication for the rest of my life. And to be okay with that, the fact that you need help, I think is an extremely godly thing. It is part of the sanctification process. Um, God is not attracted to good theology, although good theology is helpful. God is attracted to humility. We hear it in Scripture over and over again. It's the humble heart, the contrite spirit. That's what is attractive to God. And I think you can have all the right language, but it's not until you know in your heart, you know what, I need help. And that help, God might bring it through my counselor, through uh, you know a trained professional in my church, through through just admitting I need help and finding a way to get that help.
1: Yeah, so good. Yeah. You have a couple books as well, including mm-hmm. one that came out this past September, right? Called yeah, "Dropping that's right. the
0: Stones." That's it.
1: Tell us a little bit about that.
0: Yeah, so "Drop the Stones" is, I guess, that was the the beginning for me. Was like, I can't judge everybody else. Um, I need to deal with myself. And it was a revelation through the story of John Eight, you know, when the woman is caught in the act of adultery, she's caught in wrong behavior, she's caught in doing something that's actually um probably affected her life, affected the husband she was sleeping, the man she was sleeping with, the wife of that husband, the community, her family, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but just the grace of Jesus to save her from the stoning, yeah. uh, from the religious men that wanted to stone her and, and note that these guys know to be a Pharisee you had to know. Genesis to Malachi, top of your head, like you just know scripture, right? So These guys really know the word of God, and yet they don't know the heart of God. They don't know the heart of God so badly that they can't recognize God in front of them as this humble Jewish man who's just like loving and healing and serving. And right, we know the story. It's one of those stories that you don't even need to be a Christian to know. Like in the world, people know this, like whoever's free of sin cast the first stone. Right. So the invitation to drop the stones is like we are also tempted to judge, to condemn, to criticize. And there is an element of judgment that is appropriate. And and we get to that at the end of the book. But you have to first have a heart that is not judgmental. And then you can judge rightly. Uh, because some people can judge you with Bible verses, but that doesn't mean they're judging you biblically. It could be it could be using Bible verses and not doing it as the way the Bible wants you to do it. Um so it's really about having that heart of love, of grace, of mercy first. And I see the church in two camps. At the end of the story, Jesus says to the woman, Neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. So one side of the church seems to be really focused on the neither do I condemn you part. Like everything's good, you do whatever, blah, 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 blah. And the other side seems to be like Go and sin no more. Right? So it's (laughs) like you're either on one camp or the other. I believe the gospel is both sides. It starts with knowing that God doesn't condemn us, that He saves us from the stoning, that He saved us from the criticism and the judgment and condemnation, but He invites us into a better life. He invites us into the go and sin no more. Because if the woman can just get away with doing adultery, she could be ruining, you know, fifty, a hundred marriages for the next twenty years of her life, or something. Yeah. Uh, and that's not good for the rest of the, of all the other people. So there's that element of justice and grace and mercy and favor and obedience that it's just such a beautiful combination. It starts definitely with go. It starts, sorry, with neither do I condemn you, and it moves into the go and sin no more. So that was kind of my own journey of course learning that in the midst of all my messes god was saying to me consistently continually neither do I condemn you but he was also and counseling being one of those you know tools to go into no more to right. learn skills to not fall into these patterns of of anger and abuse and and just cursing my head off and just being just a horrible person i look back now i'm like how did i ever think that that was okay or i could get get away with that you know yeah. um so i was glad that i was you know, kind of caught in my sin as that woman was caught in the act of adultery. I was glad now on hindsight, I'm, I'm glad not at the moment. Um, nobody is at the moment, um, but I was glad that it happened. And I was glad that I found a, a, a God of mercy that saved me from the stoning, but also invited me to a life that's better that I don't have to be that person to my wife or my children. And then the book then moves into how do we then manifest that to each other, to our churches and our pastors and our, our leaders and, you know, our enemies and I, I believe is a very important book for the times that we're living in, yeah. where it seems like the most tempting thing to do is point the finger and say somebody else is wrong.
1: Yeah. And then that kind of transitioned at least a little bit into a podcast, right, called Drop the mm-hmm. Stones. Kind of right. centered around some of the same things.
0: Yeah. So it, it is for sure. And what I'm trying to do with Drop the Stones, and I, it's been on hiatus for a couple of months because between Puerto Rico and, you know, going to Ethiopia to bring our girl home, right. Hasn't been a lot of space to do the work, but (laughs) um, I just recorded a few episodes I'm excited to share. And what I'm doing with Drop the Stones, I've I've interviewed people um, like completely. If you're in a church camp, if you're in in the conservative, which I'm in Raleigh, North Carolina, right? So I'm officially in the south. Right. If you're here, my first episode I interviewed a good friend of mine. He's in Sheffield, England, um, and he's a gay man, and a, a Christian that believes in Jesus, loves the work of the Spirit, and how do you, you know, how do you have conversations with people you might not see eye to eye on every single theological thing? Yeah. I interview people from different sides of the political spectrum. I interview people, um, you know, different races, different colors, different attitudes, and the intention of the book is to, how do we have a conversation even though we're in disagreement? And how do we move forward? When we, you know, we can find some things we agree on and even in the things we don't agree on, how do we not throw stones but actually converse and move forward in a positive way? So that's yeah. basically what it's Drop the Stones is all about.
1: Nice. Well, how can folks get involved? I mean you've mentioned a couple times the nonprofit work and things like that. I know that there's a store on happysunship.com where you have yeah. some pretty awesome shirts and yeah, mugs so, and all that. Thanks, stuff. man.
0: Appreciate you. You're so great giving me all these plugs. I love yeah, it. Yeah, hey, so, <laughs> very sweet of you. So yeah, um, the Happy Givers is our official store for the nonprofit, and you know the the money that comes in through the Happy Givers, we put it all straight into the nonprofit work. So it pays the bills. It pays um, the the children's home we have in Peru. It pays all the stuff that we're doing in Puerto Rico. We're actually consistently taking teams, different churches, different ministries, even organizations that are not Christian. Um, doing stuff all around the island, especially in the mountain region. We're restoring homes, and, and especially for mothers who have children with special needs and elderly couples that don't have any help. So we're doing all this good work in Peru and Puerto Rico, now started with Ethiopia also, and then prisons here in North Carolina. And we just really love the work. We're focused on it. And if people go to happygivers.com, there's all this great apparel you can buy. The profits go towards the work we're doing. And then Happy Sonship, of course, that's the blog. There's different articles, different um, connected to the podcast, and you know that's that's basically it. My email is Carlos C A R L O S at happysonship.com. dot com for anybody that you know would like to come to Puerto Rico, help us out, or we'll take all the help you can give. Yeah, and, and they can donate, they can travel with us, they can come, they can give, they can do you know whatever they can to help us out.
1: Awesome. Hey, if you want to connect with Carlos, you can go to all those things he just said. Uh, you can find it That's on it. happysonship.com or on various social medias at Happy sonship. You can buy his books yeah. on Amazon uh, or listen to the podcast Drop the Stones, wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to connect with me, you can find me at robert-vor.com or on social media at Robert Vor. Carlos, thanks for joining us today and telling us a little bit about your story. Do you have any closing words for our listeners today? Yeah.
0: So for anybody that is listening to your podcast and in a way they're they're just looking for hope, you know, and they're whatever condition, whatever situation they're dealing with, their mental health or maybe breakdown in their relationships, family. It's like, just stop looking for permission. Just go get some help. Like, just go get it. Um, I, I wish I could just sit with you, put my hand, you know, put my arms around you and say, it's okay. There's nothing wrong with you. Um, we're all struggling in one way or another, and, you know, you it, it's a huge win when you just admit that to yourself and you say yes. And whatever price there is, sometimes one of the big hurdles people have with, like, counseling therapy or actual psychiatrists is so expensive, whatever, I'm telling you is the best investment, um, you know don't get the new shoes or don't get this other thing go get some therapy i uh, trust me you'll feel better you'll do better you'll be more creative you'll actually be you know you, you'll do better at your work are i'm telling you it's the best investment you can do in your life so go ahead and do it because you're loved and you're worth it
1: awesome well thank you so much for spending some time with us today carlos i hope that you have a great rest of your day
0: thanks brother appreciate it thanks for listening to the cxmh podcast